0: This is the World Bank's Infrastructure Podcast. In this episode, we discuss the conditions under which public-private partnerships, or PPPs, deliver results. In public-private partnerships, two very distinct entities join hands over a long time to deliver public services. And the results can vary according to the harvard business review australia in 1996 began the pacific highway upgrade of 408 miles of road and five organizations were involved in this procedures and training were established to ensure that the five organizations openly heard and resolved project problems and issues constructively together So when the road builders had unexpected expenses because they had to shore up soft ground, all five partners accepted this reality, even though it lowered profits. The result was that they finished the work seven months ahead of schedule and for $100 million less than the estimate in the concept design. But not all PPPs fare as well. For example, a European Union review of nine such projects, launched between 2000 and 2014, found seven were late and over budget. Why are there such stark differences? To what extent are the reasons project-specific? Can countries do a better job in designing partnerships that deliver on their goals? Let's find out. Good morning and welcome. I'm Rumeen Islam, host of Tell Me How, and today I have with me Stefan Straub, professor at the Toulouse School of Economics, who has done substantial research on the topic of today, public-private partnerships and what makes them work well.
1: Welcome, Stefan. Hi, Rumi, and thanks for having me. It's very nice
0: to have you here. So, Stefan, shall we begin by clarifying what do you mean by public-private partnerships and infrastructure? Which definition are we using?
1: Uh, Rumin, we're going to use the following definition. Uh, Picture a public private partnership as a contractor arrangement between a public authority, national government, or maybe a local government, and a private supplier firm. For the delivery and uh, the operation of, a, of an infrastructure service, and, and very importantly, this contract implies that the private part takes responsibility for maybe building or upgrading the, the piece of infrastructure, financing or making arrangement for for this uh, financing, and then manages this facility. Okay, so the, really, the bundling dimension of all these aspects is key in the uh, in the public-private partnership definition.
0: But today, I guess we're going to focus on those that have some financing commitment from the private sector, not those that don't.
1: Yes, in general, uh, I think there is an agreement to consider as a public-private partnership the, the type of contract where there is some investment by the, the private part. So it's really the investment that matters. Then it, it could be financed by you know the World Bank or, or a government, partly uh, by the uh, private bank. Uh, But, yeah, there has to be something beyond a simple management contract, for example.
0: Thank you. So why do governments look for these arrangements with the private sector and how much of infrastructure investments are actually under public-private partnership arrangements?
1: So um, you'd be surprised that, you know, Public-private partnerships are are both rare and quite frequent, so let let me explain. In fact, if you look at the overall investment in infrastructure in developing countries, it's probably a relatively small share. Um, Estimations are around 10% of infrastructure investment, maybe 3% of global infrastructure spending when you include developed countries. But then there are many, many PPPs active, you know, there are thousands of them. Uh, Some countries and regions have been very active, like Latin America, for example. So that's the, f- the first part. The, the second thing is why government look for that? Well, the correct answer or the, the right answer is, well, they look for, for this private participation because this is supposed to bring some efficiency to the table. Okay, so over the lifetime of the project, as I was saying at the beginning, uh, from the planning, the building to the operation, you expect that this private partner, because of their characteristic, will bring some some efficiency to the table, and they will do that better than the public sector itself would do. The reason for that there are several, but are are really to search into the part where you know they, they bundle these different activities together. So if a firm is is in charge of planning and building a road or or, or a a public infrastructure and then operating it, then they are likely to invest in innovating at the building stage so that operation will be cheaper and more efficient later on and they can make bigger profit. And that's really this kind of externality between phases of the project that is key in, in bringing this efficiency advantage.
0: That's very interesting. So you actually just highlighted innovation as a source of gains. But there's also efficiency gains apart from this innovation um, aspect. They, there, there may also be management efficiency gains.
1: Well, you could think there are, there are also management efficiency gain, but the, but even in management, you know, there there are innovations. So by efficiency right. gain at, the, at that level, we we think of the fact that well, if you know, if this piece has been designed in a, in a more effective way, that the processes are more effective, then the, the management will also be easier. And, and that only comes about if if you thought about it from from the very early stages of the project.
0: Right? I see, but I've often heard another justification put forward, and this is about the financing aspect of infrastructure. Could you speak about this, please?
1: Yes. Yeah, so this is the main main point that you know uh, carries disagreement uh, when when we discuss PPPs. Uh, is the fact that, that government will save on on resources by investing that. And I think there's a fundamental misunderstanding between the financing and the funding. Because even though it might be financed and operated by, by the private sector, ultimately the funding is who is going to pay for that piece of infrastructure is going to be either the users through the fees or the taxpayers. And so however you do it, you know, to public procurement or PPPs, in the end, it's the same. What changes is at what point you spend the money. So like thinking that because you do a PPP, you're, you're kind of expanding your fiscal space, to use a, a term that is, uh, that is very common, uh, is, is, is probably wishful thinking, unless you think that you're very constrained today. But in 10 or 20 years' time, your fiscal situation is going to be much better and then you, you want to shift it. I mean, this is mostly generally not the case.
0: Right. One has to think of these investments uh, over the long term in a dynamic sense. And really, it's about the timing of investments and the availability of resources to, to finance those investments that uh, make governments more likely to want them, I suppose. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So other fundamental characteristics of sectors that influence the magnitude of the gains or the nature of the gains that uh, affect the trade-off between public and private provision?
1: Yeah, sure. So, so in the review, we identified a, a few key aspects. When I say the review, I'm referring to a forthcoming Journal of Economic Literature paper that uh, is a review of empirical studies, on uh, the efficiency of public prior partnerships, uh, precisely. So, so, that's, so you looked that's what at I have many, mind.
0: many such studies and put together some
1: lessons. Exactly. We we reviewed the the whole literature on on infrastructure and also education and health, for that matter, uh, over the last uh, thirty or forty years, and and tried to see whether there were some general lessons that uh, that we could uh, extract from from there.
0: Thank you, Stefan. Sorry, I interrupted. So please continue.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, um, yeah, aspects that affect the trade-off. I mean, l- let me just mention a few: the magnitude of sunk investment. So, you know, when you do a road or when when you do a, a big piece of infrastructure, you you have to to actually do large-scale investments that are large fixed cost, and these are usually things that are sunk, so they cannot be redeployed or, or used for something else in case there is a problem later on. So that carries then the risk of opportunism maybe renegotiation, expropriation, et cetera. You know? and, and so if these risks are high, of course, that goes against the, the opportunity to do a PPP. So that's that's the first thing. And, and that varies a lot across sectors. The second thing is, I mentioned at the beginning, it's a contract, right? So if it's a contract, you, you need to be able to contract on something. And these things have to be observable. They have to be verifiable, as we say in, in, in economics. So, for example, you want the quality of your services to be contractible, to be observable. So, when you do a, you, you hire a private contractor to do a road, you want a certain quality of service and you want to put that into the contract and you want to be able down the line to verify whether the, the contractor is complying with this contract. It's easy for a road. It might be less easy for a water network because the pipes are underground and, and this type of things. Okay.
0: Stefan, based on what you just said, are there some infrastructure sectors that are more amenable to private participation than others are?
1: Yes, actually. Um, so if you if you take what I said and, and, and apply it to these different sectors, uh, you immediately see that like transport is a sector that fares relatively well. There's competition. There is uh, generally market test. People pay fees or, or might be paying fees for the service. You know, service is contractible. It's easy to verify that, that the roads are in good shape and that the, the ancillary services are there. So, so apart from the fact that there are large fixed costs, it works. And you do see PPPs in transport as a matter of fact. In energy, you see them mostly in distribution and generation. uh, And maybe we'll come back to that because the energy sector is a a complex one, but not in transmission where fixed costs are very large and it's generally a natural monopoly. And finally, you have water. Water is is a bit less favorable than transport because there are large fixed costs. And although you can verify the quality of the water, you know, compliance with the norms and so on, it's a bit harder to verify the state of the network, for example. You know, water pipes are underground most of the time. There might be leakages you don't see and and these type of things. So you do see less PPPs in water, as a matter of fact. And finally, you have the the kind of uh, sector that is a bit outside of the scope uh, of this uh, this review, which is the, the ICT sector in general, mobile phones, for example, and mobile's phone, mobile phones, you know, they have all the characteristics that may make them suitable for the private sector. So what you see there in general is, is complete privatization. So we're not we're not talking about PPPs anymore. and And as I say, they're a bit outside of the scope.
0: I guess what's very interesting is that you see over time that as technology changes and markets change, sectors where perhaps PPPs would have been harder to do become easier to do. For example, with, you know, better data, uh, you have better monitoring. I think you had mentioned this earlier. So uh, I guess with technological changes, you would agree that certain sectors become far more amenable than they were previously.
1: Absolutely. I mean, coming back to to energy, for example, you start seeing PPPs and actually privatisations in, in in this sector when when there is unbundling of of generation, distribution, and uh, and transmission. And and the other set of reforms, you know, that that came in the in the in the 80s and 90s, and and so the, of course, uh, and and same thing in the ICT sector, you know, uh, we used to think of all these sectors as natural monopolies, and and they've been changing quite quite a lot. So and and as a matter of fact, then you see also the the institutional forms evolving together with with the technology.
0: So so moving away from these sectoral characteristics. What are the features of the institutional environment that are
1: important that affect performance? Okay, let, let me just focus on, the, on a few of them, and I think that that will be very intuitive. Uh, first, we're talking about the long term contract. So, two things. If you have better, faster, more efficient contract enforcement, obviously it will be easier to do a PPP. That means rule of law matters, you know, and all these characteristics. On the other hand, uncertainty is bad for PPPs. So political instability, macroeconomic instability, but also disaster risk. Uh, All these things are going to complicate uh, the the stability of these long-term contracts. And then there are some things that are more ambiguous. So let me group this into like public sector efficiency. So bureaucratic efficiency or even corruption, you know, because on the one hand, you would think, well, if there is more bureaucratic efficiency or less corruption, probably you're more efficient at doing ppps as a public sector but then think also of the other side of the coin is like well if you have a better public sector more efficient less corruption you're also better at running public projects so you know then there's a trade off and it's not obvious that you want to do more ppps in this case so and, and that's a very important point because it carries to the to the question of ultimately you know what what is your objective doing more ppps or just doing project more efficiently But let
0: me just ask you one question, stop you for a second here, because you did mention that innovation is a big part of the efficiency gains. And I just wonder, even if public sector management is really good, would they be as innovative as the private sector would be?
1: Well, they they might not be. um, And and that might be more important in sectors where the innovative, uh, the, the part of the innovation, the potential innovation is more important. So you would think maybe in ICT or in energy, this is more important, maybe in water, it's less, you know, so, so then maybe as the public sector becomes more important, you're going to see less PVPs in water, but, you know, the trade-off would be less stringent in, in other sectors. Uh, I agree, that's a fair point.
0: All right, so we talked about these efficiencies, but I was wondering about distributional concerns. So do you think and have you found uh, in looking at all the research out there that if you do a PPP, somehow it may be harder to achieve your distributional goals, reaching the poor, for example?
1: Yes. So I think uh, that's also an important point. Um, Let me put it this way. You know, this is a contract. and, And as economists, we think that whenever we sign a contract, there might be some asymmetry of information between the contracting parties which means uh, in, in, in intuitive terms that well maybe the private operator knows most about more about its cost or, or things like that. This means that the contract is going to generate some additional rents to the operator. So the public sector is contracting with this with this private firm, but has to ensure some additional profit. so so the firm actually wants to go into that in, in that contract. And so what happens is that if you do that, in fact, mechanically, uh, w- what what is the consequence? The price is going to be higher. And given that there is a downward sloping demand curve of that service, the the more expensive it is, the less, you know, people are going to consume on the on the margin. And and the, the people that are going to be excluded from uh, from consumption are generally the poorest because they have the lowest willingness to pay. So just to to make it uh, e- even clearer. You know, there are distributional concerns here, which are that as you do a PPP to build a service that is supposed to include more people, you actually build in a mechanism that is such that you exclude the poorest people. And the consequence is that the social acceptability of this uh, of this project might be low. You know, it's and we've seen in Latin America in the 90s, 80s and 90s a lot of protest against water PPPs, for example, because prices were increasing. You know, despite better efficiency, despite uh, more investment, etc. There is this trade-off there, and and at some point there is a limit in that sense. And, and the additional risk here is that you know sometimes the, there's cream scheming. As, as we call it. So the private sector is only coming in in sectors that are reasonably profitable. And these are not necessarily the sectors that will serve serve the poor. Right? So, So that might be an issue.
0: But isn't there a solution to this in that the government can directly provide the amount of subsidy that it wishes to give to these very poor consumers?
1: I mean, sure, but that's a long-standing problem in economics, right? We we could always think that uh, we we will compensate with uh, with transfers. Of course, it's better if these transfers are disconnected from the service itself, so they don't create distortion at uh, at the provision of the ser- at the level of the provision of the service. But on the other hand, we know from you know. N- a lot of work that has been done at the World Bank and in you know, other places. That you know, transfers are not that easy to make. They're not easy to target. There's a lot of inclusion and exclusion errors. So it's uh, it's it's also carrying its own problems. But ultimately, you know, you, that would be the the best solution, of course.
0: So Stefan, an alternative to subsidizing the consumers directly is for the government to have a contract with the provider. Uh, whereby they give the funds to the provider in cases where the consumer is a poor consumer. How would such a contract work? Do these work?
1: I mean, we have evidence that that this doesn't work very well. I mean, there's a huge monitoring problem between the government and the firm uh, in terms of how much subsidy is needed and and et cetera. So uh, in practice, I mean, there's evidence from Colombia that you end up in a low equilibrium trap where this doesn't improve the service, I mean, to make it short.
0: I see so again, we have the same problems in terms of doing a contract well and being able to monitor and enforce that contract. This is yes, what you're saying yeah,
1: yeah. Yes. exactly it's 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 really about this verifiability of the of the service you know and and what you're providing and and, and what then the firm gets compensated for, which is tricky in this context
0: so let's go back to private sector uh, incentives to invest in a, in a particular sector, how does the remuneration method, whether they get user fees or whether they get taxpayer funds, how does that affect a private investor inv- incentives?
1: Well, let's again make it quite simple. If there is a strong market test, then in a sense, your PPP might be a way to screen for white elephants. What I mean by that is that you know no private operator is going to be uh, going into a contract where they know that nobody is going to consume the service, uh, and and in the end they will be losing money. So 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 that might be a problem. Now, if there's no market test, if this is just what we call an availability contract where they get paid by the government from taxpayer money, so think a stadium, for example, or, or some a prison or something like that, uh, then. You know, it's, it's really hard to know what's the, the social value of this investment. And so the private investor might go in and say, well, you know, I secured this payment over 20 years and then that's fine. And then maybe the government end up paying a very high price for a service that has no social value because there's very little demand for it. So, so that, that, that remuneration method, fees versus taxpayer fund, uh, will change incentives quite a lot.
0: So, where do you mostly see transport pPPs going you said that this was a good sector for PPPs do you mm-hmm. see them in the, in railroads, buses, ports, airports? Where do you see it?
1: Well, you see the bit everywhere i mean there there are quite a few you know pPPs in roads, of course. I mean uh, historically, one of the first pPP was the turnpikes uh, in England and then in in the rest of the world, and they were very successful, yeah. You know. Uh, nowadays, you see a lot of highway concessions in, in Europe, in France, in Spain, uh, in Latin America, in Chile, for example. There's been quite a few experience with railroads, of course, with sports and airports as well. I mean, that's quite common, even in buses, you know, there, there, are, there, are, there are a few, uh, few projects. So, um, I mean, these are kind of specific projects, but they tend to concentrate on, on the main corridors for roads, for example. So, so they, they're, they're quite important. And then
0: uh, what about energy? How is the sector different? We, you spoke a bit about it.
1: So, so energy is a complex sector where, where you have uh, generation, transmission, and distribution. Okay? And, and nowadays, in most countries, these things have been unbundled, which means that you know, they are almost separate industries. But of course, they, they have to work together. So you see PPPs. I would say the main lesson here is that it depends a lot when this process happened the unbundling process in the 80s, whether this was in mature markets like the US or the UK or in less mature markets like in developing countries. So in mature markets, mostly you saw some privatization in particular at the generation level in more uh, developing country context you saw some ppps either in generation or in uh, in distribution and i think that's um, that's the main uh, dichotomy that that you see nowadays
0: that you tend to see more privatization in mature markets and less so in less mature markets
1: yes because in mature markets like the us uh, very often you had this wholesale uh, market where, where generation and, and distribution firm could could sell and buy electricity etc so so you know the, like the underlying institutional context was more conducive to uh, to something that that is closer to a free market to uh, to, to make it simple uh, and i think that's what drove the difference
0: so you mentioned how sectoral reforms have affected performance of PPPs. Could you explain what you mean? For example, if you take the energy sector, which type of reforms were important?
1: Yes, so reforms uh, in the electricity sector, for example, was uh, first the unbundling, so separating generation, transmission and distribution segments. Uh, Second, changing the regulatory process. And that meant mostly moving on to a more, uh, incit- inc- a more incitative type of regulation, like a price cap. We call it high power forms of regulation. Then introducing competition in these different segments whenever possible. And then lastly, introducing private participation. So this would be the, the different reforms. So the regulation part would, uh, would have a direct impact on, on the pricing, right?
0: Well, I guess competition, introducing competition in the
1: sector would too. And introducing competition, of course, would also uh, matter a lot uh, for, for that matter. So so together, these create very different conditions uh, in, the, in these markets. And and then you know, from there, there has been uh, introduc- introduction of private agents, either in forms of PPP or, or actual uh, privatization.
0: So let's take a step back now, and maybe you could just about some general lessons from your study of all the different sectors you've reviewed, health, education, mm-hmm. water, maybe just in short some general observations.
1: So here are some general lessons that we uh, highlighted in the review. And, and I must say in general, the evidence is quite ambiguous in, in these different sectors. So in transport, well, it's unclear. I mean, we have a study from India in the late nineteenth century where we see that when the railroads became public, so they were initially PPPs and then they became public again, they actually became more efficient. okay, So like not not great for PPPs. Turnpikes were very efficient uh, and 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 have clearly uh, uh, given a boost to uh, the efficiency of the of the transport sector back in the eighteenth and nineteenth century. But then the evidence on modern PPPs is is relatively ambiguous, again, in in that sector. Uh, True in Latin America and and Britain as well for um, for railroads, for example. In energy, uh, again, it's it's unclear. Um, I mean, there's relatively ambiguous uh, evidence. And finally, in water, we see that in developing countries, initially, these PPPs have been quite efficient in the sense that they've uh, extended coverage. In some cases, they've helped reducing child mortality, but then, as I mentioned earlier, it's, you know the pricing implication have been more mixed, uh, and then um, the technical efficiency is also uh, also less clear.
0: I was going to say, I guess when you say that something the results are ambiguous, you mean you know in some cases they're good and in some cases they're bad, and it's hard to yes, yeah, and yeah, there yeah, are many yeah. and the results depend very much on the things we've already discussed the institutional mm-hmm. environment, the contracting process, etc., cetera. And, and which leads me to the next item that I was going to mention, which is renegotiation of PPP contracts, which happens quite a bit. And I was wondering if you could speak about that.
1: So renegotiation is, I think, is probably one of the main issues that people have been flagging with uh, with PPPs. Um, so I've worked on this issue for for more than 20 years now. We uh, generally consider two types of renegotiation, the one that are started by the firms and the one started by the government. So when it's the firm, I mean, uh, it could be that the firm is just facing some unexpected shock. You know, They overestimated demand, they underestimated that cost, they're making losses, and then at some point they need to renegotiate the contract. But then also what we see a lot is that uh, there are firms that are uh, very good at behaving opportunistically, and then, so this firm, they are just like trying to win contracts, maybe uh, underbidding other competitors at the, at the bidding stage, because they know that they're going to be renegotiating uh, uh, later on uh, down the line. Okay, so that's, that's the first problem. On the government side, we've seen a lot of opportunistic renegotiation as well, expropriation, nationalization, etc., And so whenever that happens, and and it's quite common, in some cases, you see rate of renegotiation that are between 50 and 100 percent, meaning that, you know, all concessions, all PPPs are renegotiated, sometimes several times. We we showed that for Latin America, for example. The benefits generally accrue to the firms, you know, higher tariffs, longer duration, less investment. They accrue to the politicians uh, that are involved because, um, you know, maybe it's less visible, but that may improve their chance of re-election, for example. And then, you know, there is the third party here that is a bit invisible, which is the public. And and it's uh, it's unclear that the public is really benefiting from from this uh, renegotiation. So that's the dark side of renegotiation. Now, there is another side, and and we have to consider that, which is linked to the fact that you know, when you sign a contract for thirty years, it's unclear what the condition will be in twenty or twenty-five or thirty years in in the in the general environment. So there are a lot of unforeseen contingencies, and and you have to adjust for that. And it's very hard to write that in the contract upfront. So at some point, renegotiation might be necessary, and and they might even be be good, and they might just be linked to the fundamentals of this contract, which is the fact that these are very long-term contracts. Complex contracts, you know, large pieces of infrastructure, complex services, and so some margin of adjustment down the line is also useful. Okay, so there are these two aspects in renegotiation. The first one you really want to reduce because you know it's it's more the opportunistic type and 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 it's hurting the public. The second type that you maybe want to understand better because, of course, uh, you need some flexibility down the line.
0: We understand that there are cases where you know you have to renegotiate because of these unforeseen circumstances taking place, and then there are other circumstances where it may just be a result of you know the, the contracting environment and things that you could improve upon. So let's go on to competition, which we touched upon earlier, since we're talking about how well the markets and contracts function. Uh, with ppps how important is competition in the whole process
1: so competition is very important and and i think we need to distinguish two levels of competition the first is you know as, as is clear from the beginning this is a contract between one public party and one private party so you know exposed there is no competition so ex-ante competition for the market is, is really key in this process. And that's why you generally have a bidding process, and, and it has to be competitive. Uh, and and it's, it's really important because it helps selecting the most efficient uh, operator. So this is a theory, of course. You know, and, and economists have developed this, uh, this theory of auctions and et cetera for a long time. Now, in practice, we know there are many caveats here. Because these competitive tenders are not immune to manipulation, to corruption, to collusion, to favoritism. So there might be a problem in, in less uh, transparent environment with this process. And there might be cases where you may want to have some degree of intervention or maybe a slightly less competitive procedure, at least before the competitive bidding phase itself. So, we need to have this ex ante competition, but it's fraught with problems. Second, there is competition exposed. So, as it's clear, you know, in many cases, there won't be any competition. But there is some evidence, and, and we show that in the review, that whenever there is, for example, in energy markets or maybe in transport with model competition, this competition exposed helps make these PPPs more efficient. So, as you would expect, you know, from economic theory uh, or Econ 101, you know, when when there's competition, the surplus is is bigger, and and that's true also for PPPs to some extent.
0: And how important is government capacity? Because we we spoke about you know designing market reforms, we spoke about contracting, and you know estimating demand. There's so many things that the government and the private sector have to agree on, have to, have to do together. How important is government capacity in all of this?
1: It's absolutely key. Uh, and I think if there is a recommendation, I'm anticipating on, on what I'm going to say, is that like you know very weak government should not be doing PPPs because they won't be able to manage this, this contract efficiently. So um, a lot of the, the, the mixed outcomes or the bad outcomes with PPPs Actually, come from the fact that the public authority has a, a very low capacity to manage the contract, and not not even talking about you know political connections, corruption, you know revolving door issues, and and all the all the government's issue that that, that might actually uh, make make this process even less efficient. So so there is really this paradox that some of the government that you know are, are, are more willing to do PPPs because of lack of resources are also the, the one with lowest capacity. And then, you know, uh, on the other hand, they, 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 uh, they should not be doing PPPs because they are less likely to do this well.
0: So they really need capacity building.
1: So they really need capacity building before anything, and that, and that's a long process. You know, I don't think we have evidence of of this capacity building process being being a short one. So it, it might take decades before they they actually in in a good position to to do efficiently uh, the, the type of PVPs they want to do. Now, I still want to do something to say something here that is important is that. You know, the government also is important in another way is that they might have different objectives than the private sector. So the private sector is about being technically efficient and making profit. The public sector might have different objectives, social inclusion, uh, distributional concerns, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And in those cases, uh, it might be important also that they push these objectives and and they they actually uh, shape the contract in a way that, that helps doing that.
0: Yes, we spoke about this uh, earlier on as well.
1: Yes, so yeah, so we, you've seen that in the in the US, for example, and, and that that would sound like a paradox to many listener. Uh, at the turn of the 20th century, uh, the US water sector massively became public, uh, and 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 one of the reasons was you know there were social and distributional concerns, and and it was easier for the government to run the service themselves.
0: Thank you. I'm going to end with this question. Where do you think more study is needed? Now, I'm afraid that you're going to answer with lots of areas, but why <laughs> don't we focus on a couple of big ones?
1: Okay, uh, big ones. I mean, of course, evaluating the impact is, is still high on, on, on the agenda, you know, and we don't have a lot of very good studies. But l- let me look forward, and, and if, I, if I can just name two, I think one is the impact of climate change you know climate change means increasing long-term uncertainty more disaster risk uh, you can imagine what that does in the context where you want to sign a long-term contract for 30 or 40 years and, and we don't in- understand that very well so that's very very important area for further study you know how are we going to contract in the future in a world where in- climatic uncertainty is rising uh, the other one is, and you mentioned it at some point in your question, is the you know there's this big data issue, uh, which which kind of changes a lot. You know, the digitization of the of the infrastructure world, or, and the production world in general is is you know changing a lot of the of the way people interact, and and might be changing the way we draft contracts. Uh, the way we monitor services, etc., and, and and hence the way we do PPPs as well. And, and I think that's also an area where we have intuitions, but we don't have a lot of, of precise studies.
0: So this might be an area which actually might make it easier for uh, less mature governments to design uh, to design contracts and monitor them but this is something that needs to be researched
1: more sure sure provided we have the the mechanisms in place to to do that you know i mean um, but but yeah indeed
0: thank you very much you've given us a lot to think about thank you thank you Rumin well listeners what did we learn today firstly public private partnerships in the provision of services such as in infrastructure sectors may confer benefits in the form of greater efficiency and innovation secondly The way returns to investors are structured, whether through user fees or direct transfers from public coffers, and the way social objectives are fulfilled are elements that affect the incentives of investors. Thirdly, good sector policy, including competition in the sector, a sound regulatory authority, a good contracting environment, are all key to attracting PPPs that serve countries and investors well finally, government capacity to evaluate projects and to assess, negotiate, and implement these partnerships influences their success. Thank you, and bye for now.